Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, well, we're uh, in the series Builders, and we're still in the, uh, in the mode, in the mood for building, I hope, and because uh, it, is, it is the uh, future of our church to build, and not just buildings and develop property or anything like that, but to, to be, as we've been talking about, understanding of the call of God on the life of a church, on the life of the individuals in that church, that we are, we are builders. And, and there's really not an option. You might think there's an option, but you're wrong. And it's okay if you're wrong. Um, and it's even okay if you're obstinate about that. I just hope that you'll change your mind as you spend time with the people of God to realize that your role and God's call on your life is, is actually amazingly important to the whole picture of what it is that he wants to do in our community. And um, I've been alluding to or telling you that we're going to be talking about Nehemiah, and so today is, is, the, is the, first, the first part of talking about what happened under the leadership of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah, for the record, is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I think for anyone who leads, Nehemiah should be in at least your top 10 books of the Bible because it is absolutely full of the challenges leaders face. Um, nobody gets to be the supreme king or ruler, and certainly Nehemiah was not a supreme king or ruler of any kind. He was actually someone who was a slave, um, who God gave favor, and then he began to lead in the way that God had planned for him to lead. And of course, uh, as we're going to talk about today, he encountered a lot of really serious obstacles, uh, overcame and, um, you know, made it into my maybe even top three uh, books of the Bible list. So whatever that was worth to you, I don't know. But he is one of my favorite characters. And uh, I think that I like it because Nehemiah is a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. And I know lots of times people look at dreamers, you all are like, oh, yeah, well, he's just a dreamer. You know, and you, and you kind of honestly use that to, to write people off because dreamers can be a little far-reaching, sometimes they're eccentric, sometimes they're not really based in the reality of the moment very well, all of which I'm happy to admit to personally. Uh, but, but here's the thing, is God actually loves to speak to and through dreamers. Because see, dreamers have this uh, capacity, maybe even a propensity, to leave their mind open to what God might have to say. Where sometimes other folks, well, they, you know, they're a little more structured, they're a little more... Well, we want to see things in a certain order before we get there. And, and the truth is, both need to work together. Uh, a leader, leaders, or sorry, not leadership, but a, a dream without a plan is actually a pipe dream. Uh, there has to be a plan. There has to be organization. There has to be structure. There has to be all of these things. And, and so in the story, in the book of Nehemiah, this is what we see. So Nehemiah was living in exile, is the way the Bible says it nicely. But in the honest way, the Bible also says they were living in captivity because the Israelites had ignored the Sabbath rest of the land, and so they were sent off to captivity under Babylon and then Persia. And um, the, the, the nation of Israel itself, the city of Jerusalem, was actually under occupation of those, of those, of, of those two kingdoms um, in the succession of the years that went by. So under the reign of Cyrus and then Artaxerxes, um, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon when it all initially was was going down, and so it was. It was a. It was. It was over three or four reigns. Stephen, you can you can maybe tweak me after church. I can't remember if it was three or four reigns of different kings, um, 
But in the process of this, Nehemiah becomes aware of the condition of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, that its, that its gates are torn down, that its walls are in, in rubble and ruin and disrepair. And uh, so what, uh, what, what Nehemiah does, like everyone does, when you're troubled in your heart by social injustice, is you start a GoFundMe page, and, and you also start posting like mad dog to Instagram and to Facebook, and don't forget TikTok, because I mean, the walls of Jerusalem are torn down, brah. And what are we gonna do about it? We're gonna get angry. That's what we're, we are going to get angry. That's not what he did. What did Nehemiah do? Well, he prayed. First thing Nehemiah did when he realized the seriousness of the situation, the people who had been left behind to, to live, you know, because, because a smart ruler is like, well, we're going to need slaves at home and we're going to need some slaves to serve in the lands we conquered. And so there were inhabitants of Jerusalem and Israel that had been left behind. But nonetheless, they were under the rulership of these uh, pagan kings. And so, so here, here's what Nehemiah does when he becomes aware. He prayed and he fasted. Prayed and he fasted. And I know it's amazing that he didn't TikTok anything. I know it is. But he prayed and he fasted. And just, just because I need to say it, I think, in this day and age, so should we. When we encounter a problem, why do you go to the Internet? Why? I mean, I understand it's like, hey, people on Facebook, friends, uh, my dog ran away. If anyone sees him, let me know. I mean, that's an acceptable thing to post on Facebook. But, I mean, I see people post things on Facebook like, ah, oh, my marriage is in trouble. What do I do? Why the heck would you go to Facebook for that? I, I, why don't you fast and pray? Why don't you get other people who know you and love you to fast and pray with you? Trust me, the solution will be much better coming from fasting and praying than it will be coming from Facebook and Instagram. So he prays, he fasted. Uh, today, if you, don't, if you don't do something social media, you'll surely call Chris Workington and complain. Chris Workington, I'm one of your constituents. Why aren't you doing something about what's going on in Ottawa? Poor Chris, man. He's just like, listen, we're not in government. We don't get to set policy. You know, you know how it goes. Why, why do people of faith keep looking to politicians to solve spiritual problems? And it is a spiritual problem. See, we got to fast and pray. Nehemiah fasted and prayed. And it did, for the record, make life really difficult for him. So don't you dare for a second this morning say, well, Pastor Travis said if we just fast and pray, everything would be better. No, when you fast and pray, everything will get a lot worse. <laughs> Promise. It will, it will get a lot worse, but by the time we're at the end of this message, I, I think you're going to get why. So Nehemiah prays and then approaches the most powerful human being known in the known world at that time. And he has the gall to ask permission. He asked for permission, he asked for authority, and he asked for provision. He asked for those three things. Permission, authority, and provision to travel to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls. The king asks, with his queen sitting on the throne, well, how long will you be gone? And this is kind of interesting to me because, and, and I, I think it's really valuable for, for especially young men, young women, but, but all of us to hear this part of the story. You see, the sons of Israel in reality were slaves. They were captives to the Babylonian and Persian empires. 
They were slaves. And, and many theologians would agree, lots of these poor young men who were slaves and served in the household of the king, they would have been... They were eunuchs, some of them. There, 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 is, there is nothing fluffy, wonderful, or easy about this part of the story. But nonetheless, what we see is that the sons of Israel became like sons to these foreign kings. And that's why I'm confident why, why the Scripture actually takes time to stop and say that, you know, the king with the queen sitting on the throne, it's like, okay, son, well, when are you going to come back? Of course I'm going to let you do this. What kind of a slave relationship is that? Well, it's not. Do you want to know why King Artaxerxes had that kind of favor towards Nehemiah, why Nebuchadnezzar, why the kings that had come before, why they showed so much favor to the sons of Israel? It's because the Bible actually says that when the sons of Israel were in that land, they were ten times better. Ten times better than all of their counterparts. Guys, when you work for anyone, you work as unto the Lord. You work in obedience as if you're serving Jesus, not earthly men. Why? Because when the day of trouble comes and God needs to activate his plan for salvation or restoration or healing or bringing some kind of, 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 of reconciliation somewhere, guess what? God is trying to place great men who are ten times better than everyone else in the place of influence so at the moment he needs them, he can call them and release them. Never ever doubt the moment that you're in, where it feels like things are stagnant, where it's waiting, where you're like, oh God, it's not fair, I'm so bored right now, don't forsake those moments because God is actually staging and preparing you for the thing that he's calling you to. Don't miss it. He did not bring you this far to abandon you and you would lose all hope. That's not how he does it. So these sons of Israel had the favor of the kings and this is what we see in Nehemiah. Well, sure, you can have Authority, permission, and provision, no problem. Of course I'm going to give that, but, but when are you coming back? Interesting. So Nehemiah 1 and 2 are basically the ask and then the startup of rebuilding the wall, which is the job at hand for the book of Nehemiah. So chapter, chapter 2, however, um, is the introduction of the villains. Everyone say boo. You guys like villains or what? That was pitiful. Yay, villains, you guys are so woke, it's not even funny. Oh, snap. <laughs> Come on. Here in chapter 2 is where we see the introduction of the villains. Okay, that's a little better. It's a little better. All right. Uh, their names are Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And uh, I'm going to read. And now, now, these three are scoffers and mockers. And I, I guess if, if, if they aren't then the spirit that was behind them is still very present today and can be found challenging, mocking, and threatening, scoffing the things that God is calling you to do in this life. And you, under, you need to understand the reality of Nehemiah still becomes a part of what forms the principle for us today. Because God hasn't changed, and frankly, neither has our adversary. He's still up to the same things, trying to do the same things, trying to derail, trying to dissuade the people of God from the plans of God. And so that spirit that stood behind Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem is the same spirit that stands in opposition to you today. And that spirit will attempt and has already attempted to block our growth as a church, as a movement. I mean, the enemy is set against us because we are taking ground from 
his camp. We're taking ground from what the enemy has started and built in this world. And we are overcoming it as we move forward in the things God has called us to do. So if you want, read along with me today. Nehemiah 2, 17 through 20. Here's what it says. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation that we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of, the, the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and also the king's words which had been spoken to me. Then he said, let us arise and build, so they put their hands to the good work. But when Sanballat the, Hor- the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And so I answered to them and said, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, you have no right or memorial in Jerusalem. This is the first of many challenges that these three stooges brought against Nehemiah and the people of God. They were dead, and this is why I keep, I'll refer many times this morning to there's a spirit behind this because there's no reason, there's no reason for this level of insecurity, this level of, of malice to be in, a, in another person because these men, these officials, they were all subdued and conquered people as well. And so it's interesting that they were so worked up and so angered by the rebuilding of Jerusalem, by the rebuilding of the wall, by the restoration of the temple under Ezra. And see, here's how it works, guys. In our world, the moment, the very moment a leader takes the dream or vision public, that is the moment that spirit arrives to try and derail the plan. He doesn't care when it's just something in your mind or in your heart. He doesn't seem to move against those things. But when you make it public, when you start building the team, when you start releasing the vision, all of a sudden the enemy comes in full force to try and, 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 and intimidate you off of the plan. Yeah. And as I said before, a dreamer without a plan is just actually a pipe dreamer. And because dreams without actions won't accomplish anything, they, won't, they, they can't accomplish much. There has to be a plan. But when that dreamer begins to organize other leaders, bang, the fight's on. When, that, when a leader tries to begin to build up people around them, releases control to them, releases the opportunity to grow to them, all of a sudden the enemy's like, oh, here's my chance to get in, and I am going to do my best to get in there. And all of the second guessing starts. And listen, church, we got to be aware. The Bible says that we are not to be unaware of the schemes of the devil. We don't glorify him. We don't honor him. We don't even pay a whole lot of attention to him because of who we are in Christ. At the same time, we are on our guard and sober in our spirits at all time because he is, he, is, he is looking for someone to devour. He is looking for someone who will be the weak link in the chain. He is looking for someone who will not stand in the gap so that he can have a toehold and a way in to what the people of God are called to do. The enemy knows it's wartime when God's people start to organize. So the three stooges mock and despise them. They question them, and they begin to seed rumors of rebellion. Now, you can understand maybe this morning how big a deal that is when you're, you know, away from the king who is the supreme authority over the known world at the time, and you have people who start threatening you with, we're going to tell them that you're stirring up a rebellion. That's not a light matter. That's like, the king, the king trusted me, the king has, 
has given me provision. The king has given me authority to pass through his lands unhindered. And now these guys are going to come around on the backside and try to make it look like insurrection is in the works. This is what's happening in, in, the, in, the, in the time of Nehemiah as he goes to do what God has called him to do. So, so here's, here's the thing. Nehemiah's response is so interesting because he addresses three things. Let's put them up on the screen. He says, you have no portion, you have no right, and you have no memorial in Jerusalem. Now, here is how I would apply this to us today. What I could say to those who mock and criticize the vision, whether it be of this house or any house in the kingdom of God, I would say, why are you running your mouth so much? You aren't involved in what we do. God hasn't promised you anything or, for that matter, asked you to do anything about this or to lead this. You have no vision for the future, no grasp on the past or history. You don't understand the heavenly culture and context of the plans. You don't comprehend that we have lived and continually live in the promises of God, not the works of men. This is what mockers don't understand. They, they don't understand what it means to live in the promises of God instead of the works of men. Mockers and scoffers only understand the ways of men. Their faith is limited. Because their faith is limited, they have no vision. And when you have no vision, you will surely perish. Every time there's no vision, the people become unrestrained. Death comes. Because vision, the dream, with the plan, is powerful to change the world. Nehemiah faced with what all of us will face when God calls us to do hard and impossible things. And like him, we will face enemies who use reason and logic and even variances of truth to create doubt and rumors that by which human standards should intimidate us from being obedient to God's instruction. So Nehemiah 4, we're just moving through uh, basically chapters 2 through 6 today in the block of time that we have. Nehemiah 4, 1 to 8 says, Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry. And here it is once again. And he mocked the Jews. Why all the mocking? He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. What a sweet slam that is. <laughs> no, 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 I got one, boys. They're so feeble, they're so wimpy, that even if a fox were to pounce upon their wall, it would crumble. Sick burn. I, I hope that you catch that the words of the enemy are words. And the sick burn and the witty thing you read on the internet, they're words. And the great irony that is lost here is that once again, sinful humanity uses the very breath and the words that God gave them to try and speak in their creative power against the creative power that brought all things into being. This is nuts. 
If even a fox were to jump upon their wall, it would crumble. Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you. For they have demoralized the builders. If you want to know what makes me mad, if you want to see what makes me angry, demoralize one of our leaders. I don't know if you realize this. Some of you know this about me. I live most of my life under an incredible deal of tension because of the restraint I have to live under. Because normally I would be ready to grab an axe and start chopping things. Like, no, for real. There is tremendous violence in my carnal nature. I, I have never been given to drinking because if I was a drunk, I would not be here. I would be in jail or worse. And for the record, I hope that there is that sort of violence in every good man. Because what makes it good and what makes it godly is the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Just, just lock it away. And women, too. We, we need you to be in the Spirit. It's not, not against us as men in our homes, but in the Spirit. We need you to be violent people. Because this is a spiritual war. And we are not meek. Nehemiah's prayer to God is that he not forgive God. And, you know, poor Nehemiah, Jesus showed up at that moment and said something brilliant like, well, if you don't forgive others, your sin will not be forgiven. <laughs> but this is before Jesus, so we won't hold it against Nehemiah. Because, Lord... I need you to revisit the pain that they are causing our cause on them. Because a leader, a leader should become angry when someone comes to demoralize the leaders, to undermine the work that is underway. And, and for, for those of you, for those of us who have ever found ourselves in the place of being a naysayer, a mocker, a scoffer, God, forgive us. God, please forgive us. Maybe we didn't understand what we're doing. Maybe you don't understand what you're doing. So hear the word of the Lord today and understand that it is not a good idea to get between God and his plans for people. You will not win. I love, I love Nehemiah. His leader's heart is this. For they have demoralized the builders. And then he says, so we built the wall. So we built the wall. A lot of people quit when the team gets demoralized. Can I just tell you that it's actually normal? For your, for your household, when dads, when you try to lead the way and start family devotions or start praying more or being more present in your home like God is calling you to be, and everything starts to kind of fall apart, I understand what that's like, and I understand the desire to quit. Man, how can this be worth it? I tried to try to lead better, and everybody starts fighting, and everybody, listen, the enemy comes in this same spirit, this mocking, scoffing spirit to try and dissuade you, to intimidate you from being the builder God has called you to be. Moms, don't give up 
when your children rebel even harder because you set the principle and you set what is right in front of them. The Bible does not say if you, if you train your child with ease, without effort, in the way he should go when he's old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't say that at all. Guys, teaching is hard. Training is hard work. And it's hard work in a family. And we know we planted a church. We raised four children in, in five years in that little gap. I've always had two or three jobs. It is crazy what we have done. And we don't actually expect people to do crazy things that way. But guys, don't be surprised. Please, don't fall for the bait that says it shouldn't have to be this way. The greatest work you're called to is to build your family, to raise up your home, to be present as mothers and fathers. To be a marriage that survives and thrives in spite of hardship. These are the things that God is calling and equipping his people to do in a world that can't get any of it right. And sometimes we, we forget how important that work is. So we built the wall. And the whole wall was joined together to half its height. But the people had a mind to work. Someone say, had a mind to work. See, this is for those of us who are like, yeah, I'm just not feeling it. I understand that. Some days you're just not feeling it. But what is your mind put to? This is why the Bible doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And just leave it there, does it? What does it say? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The Old Testament even added, and all your strength. Because if you only love God with your mind, your spirit is dry. If you only love God with your spirit, well, when it gets hard and you haven't put your mind to it, you're going to quit. And God help us, if you only love him with your emotion, and there's no spirit and there's no mind, I don't know what you have. We've got to love him with all of us because there are times when we have to put our spirit to it. There are times when we have to put our emotions, our will to it. And there is time when we have to put our strength to it. But they built it because they had a mind to build it. In other words, they had made up their mind. They had a mind to do the work. They had a mind for the call that had been put on them. They had a mind that said, we have said with Nehemiah, we will rebuild this wall. And so because of their mind, they stuck with it. Do not, do not think there is no value in what you choose to do. And how you set your mind to work. Now when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. So we're moving from kind of this spiritual warfare and kind of an emotional warfare now to a physical confrontation. I don't know how many of you have ever had to have a physical confrontation, but it's generally not very pleasant. I don't like physical confrontation. I don't actually like hurting people. But this is the place we come to. This is the place Nehemiah came to. See, they took it farther than just being angry and conspiring. They actually began to make plans upon plans to kill the Jews who were building the wall. They were enraged by the success that they saw, and the builders were dejected and demoralized and frozen by fear. But once again, because of that, they didn't, they didn't write a letter back to the king. Oh, great leader, please help us. We're being bullied. 
They didn't, they didn't send off messengers to Artaxerxes and, and say, hey, man, we can't handle this. What, what did they do? Well, verse 9 says, but we prayed to our God. And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Now, I just have to pause and, and walk us through this just for a quick moment. In the story of Nehemiah, you're going to see this over and over again. There is the spiritual and there is the physical, and they work together. And it's true for your life and mine today. There's the spiritual and the physical, and they have to work together. That's why it is prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting links the spiritual and the physical together. They prayed to God. And because of them, here's the physical part, we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. There is yet much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. This is a people who have been called and come so far, and they hit this, they hit this wall, as it were. There's still so much work to be done, and we can't do this ourselves. You might look at that and read, oh, this is, this is the prayer of defeat. No, it's not. It's the confession of weakness. Leadership 101. If you want to do great things in God's kingdom, confess your weakness to him. Because it's in your weakness that his strength is going to be perfected. And if you won't confess your weakness to God, and if you won't confess your weakness to the trusted people in your life, let me just ask you, how do you think it is that the strength of the Lord will be perfected in you? I don't have no weakness. Yeah, you do. A lot of it. Lots of weakness in this room. In fact, there's more weakness than strength in this room. Even with big giant guys like Brad Karpiak and Wesley, who I'm, for the record, glad they're on our side. This is a confession of weakness, not a prayer of defeat. <laughs> We've come so far, but there's so much work to be done. There's garbage everywhere. We, can, we, 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 cannot, we cannot do this, God, on our own. Our enemies said they will not know or see until we are among them and kill them and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who live near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. You want to know what the four most powerful words in all of Scripture are? I mean, as four words. There's, there's other words that are really powerful. Do not be afraid. Just, just think for a minute or go back and read your Bible and just see how many times God, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, says that to his people. They are powerful worlds. Do not be afraid. He went on to say, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Fight for them. You've heard the term stand in the gap. Are you aware that that expression comes from this passage of Scripture? 
to stand in the gap. The wall was built, but remember, it was only built and connected to half its height, so there were these really low spots in the wall. And just like your life and my life, even though God is building us and we're in the full armor of God when we're spiritually, you know, with it that day and and we're doing the work and God is progressing us and we're in the process of perfection and things are all going so well for us, there's there's these low spots in our life and we're a little wary of them because we know in those low spots the enemy can come in. And when they prayed and when they sought God, Nehemiah was moved to do this then. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to... We're going to position guards, armed guards, in the low spots. I know that's just mind-blowing strategy, isn't it? I mean, who would think to do this? (laughs) Everywhere there's a low spot, he took men, women, and children. Church, if you don't understand how important your children are, to the spiritual reality of the warfare we are in for our world. You're missing it. I I appreciate protective mama hearts that are like, "Ah, I want to spare my kids. It's good. God put that in the hearts of mothers. And even fathers, you know, like, my son, sure, they can go off anywhere. My daughters, eh, let's slow down on this just a little bit. But if you watch the great parents of Scripture, the great parents of the Bible, they all had one thing in common. They were willing to trust God with their children. Hannah. They they trusted God with their children. Lord, I'm going to trust you no matter what. Because I dedicate to you, I give to you that which you have given me. And I'm going to trust you with my children. And I understand in the world we're facing today, that can seem like a, a kind of a kind of a hard thing or a crazy thing even to say, but 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 just hear the Spirit of God speak this into your life today. You're gonna trust him with your children. In Nehemiah's day, he put them all on the line. He put them all in the gap, and families stood together in the gap to guard what God was having them build when they were under threat from the enemy. The work continued on from there with Nehemiah then dividing his workforce between two parties. He had builders and he had fighters and he had fighters and he had builders and they took it in shifts. While Ed was building, Carlisle was standing there with a spear, sword, shield, bow, his whole family ready to rumble. And Ed and his family, Danielle and the kids, they're, they're building the wall. They're working away. They're moving stones. I mean, Ryan was lifting 10 times more stones than his dad because he's super tough. <laughs> right, Ryan? Yes, for sure. And at the end of the day, rather than take off your clothes and go to bed, you know what you did? You picked up your sword and your spear and your shield and your bow and arrow. Carlisle's family, they didn't change their clothes. They set down their weapons of war and they picked up the tools of construction and then they built the wall. The Bible actually says that they didn't even take down, they didn't take off their armor, they didn't set down their weapons even when they went for water. Because they had set their minds to the work God had put in front of them. I just hope you can 
I hope you can reap the principle, and I hope you can, you can see the parallel that we're going to find ourselves in as a church now and in the days to come. Nehemiah, he had to establish leaders to sound trumpets along the whole wall, along the job site. He had, he had trumpeters stationed. Why? So that if the enemy did come, they would blow the trumpet, and then the whole assembly of the people would rally to that location. Guys, the church has trumpeters in it, and from time to time, the trumpeter's going to blow the horn, and we're going to rally to that point. Because the enemy's coming. And we live, and we die, and we fight, and we win as a unit, as one house. In chapter 5, we're not going to jump into this today, but I'd encourage you to read it for yourself because in chapter 5, Nehemiah has to deal with the financial abuse that was taking place between brothers in Israel. They were charging each other interest and, and they were bankrupting each other and, and it was, it, they were treating each other as, as master and slave in the worst kind of way. Um, so so it's, worth, it's worth reading, withholding goods and services. No, I don't want to help you. You owe me. You owe me big time. These were the things going on, and so all of chapter 5 kind of deals with it. And then we come to chapter 6. And in Nehemiah 6, 1, here's what it reads. Now, when it was reported to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, then Sambalat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Ser at uh, Chepharim in the plain of Ono, but they were planning to harm me, so I sent messengers back to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should I stop work while I leave it and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them the same way. Listen, guys, this is, this is the part that you need to understand this morning. What you are called to, what we are called to, is an important work. And the enemy wants to send people your way to say, hey, it's actually not that important. I need you to come to a meeting over here. I need you to come to an event over here. I need you to come over to this place because what you're doing actually isn't that important. This is more important. This is not a new tactic that the enemy throws at the people of God. It's been happening for thousands of years. And take note on what Nehemiah's response was. Four times he said to them, I am doing an important work and I will not come down from this wall. I will not come down. I mean, some of us need to come back to church on Sunday mornings as families. You don't need to be there on Sunday mornings. It's okay if you miss one and then it turns into two and then it, misses, it turns into five or six or a month or whatever. Is it important? There will always be Sambalats, Tobias, and Geshems who are trying to say, what you're doing over there isn't that important. It's no big deal. Nobody will miss you when you're gone. But when you leave, you leave a hole. Sambalat sent his service to me a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. It was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says, who the heck is Gashmu? I don't even know him. Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. In other words, I'm telling on you. 
So come now, let us take counsel together. Come and talk with me. I don't really have to send these reports off to Artaxerxes. We can work it out. So I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done. You're inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will be discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. You might not know this, but false accusation is actually one of the greatest tests of your integrity that you'll face in life. It's kind of obvious, right, when we stumble and fail and our integrity struggles because of our own issue. It's actually far harder when someone else brings outright lies against you. Because there's actually about 10 more ways you could sin. You could just, like, you could go take them out, show no mercy. That's just one of the ways that I would think about sinning. And there's probably a few more I could think of because, as I said to you before, I'm actually a pretty restrained person when it comes to, well, a lot of things. Nehemiah spoke the truth back to the one who was bringing a lie, which, by the way, isn't that what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days? Right? I mean, the enemy brought things that could plausibly be true to him, to Jesus. But Jesus reconfirmed truth every time. This is what Nehemiah does here. He, he reconfirms the truth. No, this isn't true. We're not doing those things. You're blowing smoke. You're making it up out of thin air. That's not us. That's not who we are. And then he, once again, he, he doesn't write a letter to the king. He doesn't write his politician. He doesn't get a GoFundMe going on Facebook. What? He turns and he prays and he says, Now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. I'm doing this great work. I cannot come down. I'm not going to stop no matter what you say, no matter what lies you tell. I will not stop building that which God has called me to build. Guys, you're doing a great work. You're build- if, you're, if, you're, if all you're doing right now is working on building your family, you're doing a great work. Yeah. If you're building a business, you're doing a great work. Especially if your heart is for that business to build the kingdom of God because that's the kingdom you're seeking first. The devil will always want you to trade God's deal for a one that he can offer that looks maybe just as good. But his will will always be to take you off course. So now, we're going to read this, but I want, you, I want you to understand how quickly this happened. All of this happened, Nehemiah shows up, he begins to take fire as soon as they start, and they rebuilt the whole wall of the city. They, they got it all finished up. They didn't hang the gates, but they had all the wall finished in 52 days. 52 days manual labor, lifting huge stones back into place, piling mounds of dirt, building, in, building embutments, building guard towers, building the wall. They restored the whole wall in 52 days. That's miraculous. Here's what it says in Nehemiah 6.15. The worship team, you can come back. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, now now you would think that because the wall was complete, surely these these jokers are going to lay off. The scoffers and the mockers are going to sit down. 52 days we rebuilt the wall. Sit down, shut up. But they did it. When our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 
Also those days, many letters from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound to an oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Aaron, his son of Jehohanan, and married the daughter of Meshuthalem, the son of Berechiah. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Even after the wall was finished. And all of the nobles and everybody's like, well, maybe we were wrong. It looks like they did it after all. The in-laws. That's who I blame this on. The in-laws. Because of all the marrying and intermarrying, the political connections that they had, Tobiah heard about everything that had been done. And like I said, you think the scoffer would shut his mouth and sit down. But he didn't. And he picked up his pen. And he wrote letters once again to try and frighten Nehemiah from completing the work. And you say, well, Pastor Trav, you said the, the wall was complete. The wall was complete. But the job wasn't done. And I close with this this morning for us to understand the process of life. Because we could be in a building project as a church and we can stand up that building. But will that mean that the work is done? Of course it won't. We can get every person in this city saved. Like, I mean, every single person knowing Jesus, healed in their life, healed in their body, miraculous signs and wonders happening. I mean, we could even get the whole region going. And let's say that we have everybody in this region, about 200,000 people, all loving Jesus. Would our work be done? It would not be done. Let me explain to you why the work is not done. The job was not done for Nehemiah. Do you know why? Because they hadn't had the opportunity to dedicate it to God. What that means is they hadn't had the opportunity to look back at the work that they had done, what God had called them to, and to say, you know, the Lord came through for us there. The Lord came through for us there. The Lord came through for us again that time. The Lord gave us wisdom when we needed it the most. The Lord provided provision for us in a miraculous way when we needed it. None of that can be left out of the story of what God has done. Because at the end of it all, when it comes to an end, it will be at the end because God gets all the glory. That's what does it. That's what brings about the end. I don't, I don't know if you realize that, but, but the end of time comes when God gets all the glory. Not before. When every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, that's when we're coming at the end. The beautiful thing is there's still eternity beyond that, but our work isn't done until God gets all the glory. And that might be at the end of this age because Jesus comes back. It might be for me at the end of my life where I take my last breath and I leave this earth and his work in me and my time is done. But it isn't over until he gets all the glory. And so for us as a church, I need you to understand that there will be endless vision from this generation and the generations that follow it. There will be Vision upon vision upon vision. There, 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 there's a deep, deep well. We don't even dare talk to you about most of it. Because I think some of you would freak out if you saw what I see. It's not over until God gets all the glory. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the next coming weeks. The story doesn't end with the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. Because God's a lot more interested in hearts than he's interested in walls. He's a lot more interested in his people than he is in the buildings that they need to build to meet in. 
God, God's more interested in your story than he is in the systems of this church. But the systems of this church are going to help us to get to your story. And so for you this morning, I don't know exactly where a message like this will find you, but here's what I want to say to you. God wants to come this morning. He wants to change hearts. He wants to change patterns of thinking. He wants to change the way you actually chemically feel about the things He wants to do in your life. You might not trust Him. You might not even know Him. But today could be the day where that all changes for you. God makes this whole thing, this whole building reality about us and then he makes it about our time and our treasure because wherever we place our time and our treasure our heart has the tendency to follow God could have rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem by himself totally supernaturally in fact as supernaturally as he brought Jericho down he could have stood Jerusalem up but God was more interested in people's hearts and God's more interested in your heart so maybe it's your day to join us. Maybe you've been coming to church and you're kind of running contrary to the vision or you're half checked out of where we're going or what we're doing. That's okay. We're glad you're here. But come on and join the team. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you actually need to con commit yourself to Jesus because that part of your life is unyielded. It's, it's, it's unbent. It's unrepentant. Following Jesus is kind of an easy thing except for it's a really hard thing. Because it involves you turning from your sin so that you can follow Him. Well, Pastor, I don't even know what sin is. That's okay. That's okay. We'll get to that part with you. we got to turn from it and trust Him in order to learn what it is. So today could be your day. Maybe you're sitting here, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're watching online, you don't know Jesus. Well love to talk with you about that. We'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe there's sickness in your body this morning and you need a touch of healing. I will always urge you to come and receive prayer for healing because today can be your day. We're just going to keep asking God standing with you, loaning you faith, believing with you in faith for the goodness of God to be revealed in your life. Marriage is in trouble, impossible circumstances, it doesn't matter what it is. We're going to sing this one last song, and as we sing this song, if you would like prayer, you just come forward. We'll have people standing on this side of the front, on this side of the front, and they are trustworthy people who love you. They want to pray with you. They are, they are wonderful, trustworthy people. So let me pray for you. We're going to sing the song. We're going to close our service and move on with the rest of the day. So don't miss this opportunity. Father, I thank you for every person in this auditorium right now. Lord, I thank you that you have a call, a plan, a vision for us wherever we are. Whether we're near to you, far from you, Jesus, you have paid a price for each one of us. And you have made a way for us to be reunited with you. So Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that courage would fill every heart to respond in the way that's appropriate this morning. Because, Jesus, we know that we want you to get the glory here. Say amen. Let's Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. 
For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.